Tandem Nomads, episode 24. So you want to clearly explain why you're the right person to hire because you have that kind of experience, not in spite of. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, where inspiring expat partners from around the world share with you how they turn the challenges of relocation into great opportunities. So are you following your partner abroad for his or her career? Then Tandem Nomads is the place for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter. Hello, Nomad Nation. This is Amel Deregi. When is the last time you updated your resume? One of the main pillars of Tandem Nomad is to support expat partners find inspiration to build their own financial security. And to do so, we can either build a portable business or manage to find a job in the countries we move to. Okay, I know it's not that simple. <laughs> I actually wish it was, but it's not. But let me tell you, if you have some opportunities that come to you, you need to be able to seize them fast but also be able to transform them into real job opportunities, as they might not be a lot of them, first of all, especially as you're an expert partner. So if you don't have an updated resume that you can submit rapidly and a resume that really differentiates you from your competitors, it might reduce your chances to find the job you're looking for. So in order to help you start working on your resume and bring you some great tips to build a resume that will attract your future employer's attention, I brought to you today a very special guest, Anna Sparks. Anna, are you ready for the ride? Hi, Amel. Absolutely. Anna is an expert partner herself. She comes from the U.S. and lives now in Quito, Ecuador. Anna is an expert in writing compelling resumes and an expat career coach. She previously lived in Bulgaria, Malawi, Costa Rica, and Nicaragua. Every time she moved, she had to fight hard to get a job. But she managed to work in every country and took a large variety of jobs. Business advisor, monitoring and evaluation specialist, economic specialist, consultant, community liaison officer. So this says a lot on how talented Anna is at selling herself on a resume. And when her office in Quito closed, they asked her to help all the staff with their resume, cover letter, interview skills and getting over the shock of actually being let go. So she loved every single second of it. And this is how she launched her career coaching business. Anna, I tried to summarize your life in a few minutes. Is there anything I missed? And tell us what's happening in your life before we start giving some tips to Tandem Nomads. Sure. No, I think you did a great introduction. Maybe the only thing that I would add is we've been living overseas now for almost 10 years straight, and we're actually heading back to the U.S., to the Washington, D.C. area in August. So I'm sure there's other tandem nomads out there who um, maybe have a little bit of anxiety like I do with the idea of moving actually back to our home countries. I'm sure. Well, you come back to the show and tell us how it's going there. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I'd like to just jump in with the first question about how to write attractive resumes. So what is the first thing to do if we want to craft a resume that will attract employers? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the most important thing is that people, as they're writing the resume, need to know their audience. So they really need to realize that the resume is not necessarily for ourselves as we're writing it, but it's for somebody else. And so really understanding who that audience is is incredibly important. So how do you get to 
know who's your audience, really understand what they're looking for? The, the way that you can do it mostly is as you're looking at, for example, a job description will come out, right? Like an announcement for a job. And what you want to do is you really want to look at that description, look at that announcement and see all the bullets of the, um, the characteristics that they're looking for in the person that they're going to hire. And then you want to think about the company itself, right? Is it a large company? Is it a small company? Are they hiring you for a contract position or a part-time position or a full-time position? You want to think a little bit about who's going to look at your resume first, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we see that there's like an HR specialist, for example, who's going to review all the resumes and give the top five to the potential supervisor. So as you're writing your resume, you need to realize that that HR person maybe is not super invested in the job, right? And they're just trying to check off all the boxes. Do you have all the characteristics that they're asking for in the job description? The other thing that's really important to know about your audience when you're submitting a job application is that a lot of times they don't have a lot of time. So we all apply for jobs where there may be five candidates, but there also might be like a hundred candidates. So imagine yourself in the position of the HR person who's looking over them or of the potential supervisor who has a stack of a hundred resumes in front of them, right? Along with the cover letter. So at the minimum, they have 200 pages that they're supposed to be looking through. Um, as you think about them, you know that if you were in that situation, you would want to be able to get the information that you need about each person in their resume and their cover letters really quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things you have to know about your audience as you're crafting your resume is how do you structure it in a way that they can see very quickly that you're the right person for the job? Because mm -hmm. that's exactly what they need in order to put you in the yes, we want to interview her pile versus the no, I don't think she has what we need pile. Yeah, so we're going to go through that structure that's necessary to help the viewer of the resume to decide on which pile to put us. Uh, but before, I would like to highlight two important things, I think, and maybe you can complete, is that, first of all, we're talking about how important it is to know our audience. And let's not forget maybe also that sometimes those resumes are also being processed by robots, you know, who mm -hmm. pre-select them. So I guess the keywords are also very important, aren't they? Yes, that's absolutely correct. So you, in larger organizations, right, if you're working for a big corporation, they're absolutely going to go through some computer system first, where they're going to be trying to pick out the words that are in the job description, and they want to make sure that you have them. For smaller organizations, it might be done by a person, but the person that it's normally done by is somebody who may not be familiar with the technical aspects of the position. So they're doing that same thing that the computer software is doing, which is kind of just checking for keywords. Mm -hmm. And so it is really important to use that same language that the organization that you're applying to work for is yeah. using. So let me give you an example. It might help. Yeah. Let's say that um, you have been writing, um, you, you have been in a position before for, for your own government, right? And you had to sometimes submit, um, you know, monthly updates to your boss about what you've been doing over the month. And let's say the position that you're applying for is asking you if you know how to write government reports. You might not have thought about those emails where you went through 25 bullets of what you've been working on during that week to your boss as a government report. But if you really back up for a second, you can see you are reporting on what you're doing to your boss in the government. So exactly. you have experience writing government reports. You know, so you have to look at the job description in that respect. Do I have this experience? If I do, let me use some of that same vocabulary that you, they're using in the job announcement so they understand very clearly that I have that experience they're looking for. Yeah, very good point. I don't know if you gave another example, I think, on your blog where you say, for example, event management. Maybe we have never done any event management, but just 
you know, going to your kids' school and organizing parties for them is an event per se. So we have to capitalize, even if we didn't professionally do something, capitalize in our life what can be used for this job description. Exactly, because so many expat partners are in a position sometime where they decide not to work for a particular reason, right? Because they're going to be somewhere for a short amount of time or because working on the local market isn't very lucrative or because they've been assigned to a country where partners aren't allowed to work, mm -hmm. right? And so when you're in that situation, you want to find what did I do during that time, either with my kids or in some other aspect of my life that demonstrates these skills that I have. Mm -hmm. And there's so many, especially expat partner parents who have such rich experience in things that they've done on a volunteer basis at their kid's school or with their partner's um, company or organization that is so valuable and we don't even think to put it at the same level as our professional experience when sometimes that's exactly the right thing to do. The second thing I wanted to highlight before we go through more details and more detailed recommendations is the importance that you mentioned with knowing your audience. So we know that it's very important to see, to try to understand when you see a job offer, who's, uh, who's going to process it. We try to get as much information about it as possible and what kind of company is it. But it, what it means to me is also how important it is actually to not just write one resume and just send the same one to everybody. And I think this is something that it's still not, Uh, quite uh, obvious to everybody that a resume should be adapted to every job description. Absolutely. That's a big mistake that I see is that people create a resume and then they create a cover letter. And the only thing they ever swap out is the name of the company and the title of the, of the job. Yeah. And that's a big mistake because as you're thinking about speaking to your audience, you need to make sure to tell them the things they need to know in order to make a decision about you right? What do these people need to know about me? If it's an event planning position, what are the different things that they need to know about me in my skills and planning events, both on my resume and in some of the examples I might share in my cover letter versus a marketing position, right? Which could still be in the same department as an event planner, but they're looking for different, a different skill set. And so you want to make sure that you tell them the exact skill set that you have that they are looking for. So let's, let's try to now take it step by step. I have a job offer here. What do I do? Okay. You have a job offer here. You want to take that job offer and put it right next to your resume. So open up whatever last version of your resume you have. And you want to cross-check your resume with the job description. So literally, I do this with all of my clients. I look at the job description, I look at their resume, and I cross off on the job description the things that I see already on their resume that are very clear to me. And then I take from that job description the things that they haven't already mentioned and say, do you have the skills that they already mentioned? Sometimes people do, sometimes they don't. But if you do and it's not on your resume, there's no way for your potential employer to know that, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to check those things that don't appear on your resume and really ask yourself, do I have some of those skills that they're looking for? Either in, in my professional experience, that would be step number one, or somehow in my personal or volunteer experience, that would be step number two. And if I don't have those skills that they're looking for, is there a way that I can easily get them right now, right? So can I take a class? Can I volunteer to do something very similar? Is there any way I can start cultivating those skills that they're looking for so that I can use it? Maybe not right now on my resume, but maybe as an example, as I call, get called in for an interview in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. 
It takes time to, you know, I love, I love the fact that besides checking, cross-checking our resume with the offer and trying to complete what we do have uh, and put it some in the resume because we might have not thought of putting it in, but also going and getting those skills that are missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, it, well, first of all, the, the time is not there enough because usually you have to respond to a resume quite fast. So I guess it also means that we also have to have a bit of a vision on what kind of job we're interested in, in general, right? And see yeah. what kind of skill are missing for us to reach them. Yeah. And one of the things I suggest that people do, if they do have a little bit of a lead time before they're getting a job, right? So some people know I'm moving in six months. When I move to my next country or my next city or whatever, I'd really like to try to get into graphic design or whatever is the next field that they're looking to get into. Or I've been out of the workforce for a little while and I want to go back to what I was doing before. What I suggest doing is starting early to look at some of those job descriptions that are out there. What are people looking for? Is there certain software maybe that you're a little bit out of the loop on and you want to brush up on? Um, Are they looking for somebody who has experience in certain areas or who has managed a certain amount of money or a certain number of staff or a certain number of volunteers? Are they looking for somebody who has writing experience online? Are they looking for somebody who really understands social media? You know, so as you look across, let's say, find five or six or seven job announcements that you're not necessarily going to apply for, but are the kind of thing you would like to apply for in six months. Mm -hmm. And then look at what the, the skills that they're looking for, because then you have that six months to start building some of those skills that they're looking for if you don't already have them. And to build those skills, there are a lot of options, I guess. There's, uh, you know, taking a class, taking a free trainee. Uh, What else can you think of? Absolutely. So there's a lot of online classes now through sites like Coursera, um, where you can take online classes. Yeah, Coursera, C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A dot com, I think, or .org. Um, it's an online site where the major universities in the U.S., Europe, Asia, um, put classes online, basically, and you can take them for free. So you can take the class online for free, um, just participate in the class and do the assignments. And if you are looking for feedback from the professor or a certificate saying that you have actually taken the class, you do pay a fee for that. But a lot of times, just participating and doing the assignments is enough for us to brush up our skills the way that we need to. Um, and I really recommend doing that for um, expat partners who are not working during a certain time or aren't aren't able to work. Mm-hmm. So if you know, oh, over the next two years, I'm going to have a big gap in my professional experience because I'm deciding to stay at home with my kids until they're a particular age or I'm not allowed to work in whatever country that you're in, it's a great idea to do some of those online courses. Another great option is to volunteer. So um, finding a non-governmental or non-profit organization who needs a little bit of help. So if you know that you would like some experience in community outreach, um, coordinating volunteers, designing programs for kids, adults, the elderly, whatever, find an organization that needs some help with that. Mm -hmm. This is also, that's also a really great option if you do anything on the administrative side. Mm -hmm. So if you have any kind of finance, bookkeeping, budgeting background, or you know you want to get into that, nonprofit organizations a lot of times need that help, that Mm -hmm. kind of help. So that's a really good option also to get some very solid experience that you can put on your resume as professional experience. Yeah. That's another big mistake that I see people make is 
if they were a volunteer somewhere, they think, oh, that doesn't really count. But it does if you had a regular relationship with an organization where you volunteered. So let's say you volunteered every Monday doing bookkeeping for a particular organization. That's the kind of thing that you're going to want to put under professional experience if it's relevant to the next job that you're trying to get. So basically, a resume is not only about the jobs where we were paid for, and it's, it's more about our skill set that can fit to your position. And we have to be more creative and to really think deeply and broadly what, what are our skill sets besides just what we've done in the past. And I guess also, if we have a better idea of what we want to do in the future and can't work right now, the great thing is to take that time we have if we have enough time to volunteer. And I see a lot of expat partners volunteering, but maybe not thinking about how they can use it. First of all, using it is a great thing, but I think there's so many volunteering possibilities that maybe it might be wise to try to go into like volunteer jobs that have something to do with where we want to evolve later in our careers, right? Exactly. So you see a lot of people um, volunteering, let's say, for example, when I was in Malawi, a lot of people volunteered at an orphanage, right? And they did a lot of things like playing with the kids or helping to cook meals. If your background is in childcare and you want to keep up your professional experience in childcare, that's great. Or if your background experience is in restaurant management or anything having to do with food preparation, really great. If your background is in finance, then you might go directly to the people at that orphanage and say, listen, this is my background. I'd love to give you an afternoon every week and teach you how to do your own bookkeeping or do your bookkeeping for you, right? So then that's the kind of thing that you put on your resume. You're still volunteering and providing a great service mm -hmm. to that orphanage and something that those kids need. They need the administration administration of the orphanage to be functioning properly. They need to make sure none of that money is lost. So you can make a contribution using your skill set also in a volunteer capacity. I'm very happy we, we spend enough time to talk about this because I, th I think it's very important. So now we've done that. We've compared our job positions and our resume and we have to start writing it. Where do we start? <clears throat> so there's a couple major sections you're going to want to make sure that your resume includes, right? So we all have resumes, most likely, that have professional experience and education on them, right? And some of us have different sections on our resumes, like additional skills or hobbies or things like that. So I'd like to take a few minutes and just talk through some of those different sections sure. that you can include and what are the advantages of including them. Let's do that. Professional experience, absolute must, right? But before professional experience on your resume, I suggest um, including a, a section that a lot of people may not already have, which is called key qualifications or key skills. So maybe when a lot of us were creating our first resumes, me personally, maybe 20-ish years ago, um, we used a section called objective, right? Like, what am I trying to do with my career or what am I trying to do with this resume? And that kind of section is totally out, mostly because it focuses on ourselves, right? It really focuses on what do I want versus what does my audience, what does my future employer want, right? So the key qualifications section kind of replaces the objective section as the first part on your resume. And it does something very important for expat partners. And this is actually the number one change that I recommend to all expats on their resumes. Mm -hmm. And especially expat partners who might have kind of diverse experience or are changing careers. The key qualification section allows you to write a short paragraph about who you are and basically present your first impression on your resume, right? So if you don't have this section... 
somebody who's looking at your resume might look at the, the headers of your professional experience and your education, and they're going to create some picture of who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And because so many expat partners maybe don't have a very clear line between their professional experience, that's not going to benefit them, right? So if you see, for example, when you gave my bio, you say, saw that I was a monitoring evaluation specialist, a community liaison officer, an international development consultant, and um, economic specialist. If you see those four positions, you might say, gosh, I don't really know where she fits in my organization, mm-hmm. right? Very because much. those those names are really different. But if I give you a key qualification section, which is four phrases that tell you who I am, number one, the section is short and you're going to read it, right? It's one quick paragraph where you can figure out who I am and you can put me in um, a box per se, right? Like we like to put people in, bo- in boxes. She's the event pa- planner. She's the um, podcast host. She's the this person, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that paragraph, I can tell you something about myself. So if I take those different positions, I can explain in those four, four phrases who I am. So if I'm applying for a job as a, um, let's pretend, um, an international development program manager, right? I only have one position on my resume that says international development in the job description. Mm-hmm. But in all four of those positions, I was doing international development work. So in that key qualification section, I can say something like international development professional with 10 years of experience in Africa, Latin America, and Europe, period. That would be my first phrase, right? Mm -hmm. The second phrase, I will try to pull out things from the job description that I have, right? So maybe they're looking for somebody who's good at writing grants. Well, I have that experience. So I'm going to write something about writing grants. Um, let's say they're looking for somebody who's also good at managing staff. I have that experience. So I'm going to include my ability to manage 10 staff or something like that. And then I might put one other phrase or two other phrases that really call attention to some of the people skills that I have, right? So let's say um, this position is located in, um, let's pretend it's located in South Sudan, okay? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of a challenging environment to work in. If I have some experience in a challenging environment to work in, I'm probably going to put that right in the first paragraph because the places that my positions have been located don't necessarily immediately tell you that, but I actually had to travel a lot for my position in Costa Rica, let's say. So I have experience in those challenging environments to work in. Does that make sense? Makes so you're sense. able to pull out those key, key points and put them right there at the top of your resume. So your audience, those HR people and those potential super, supervisors, don't have to dig through your resume to see that you're the right person for them. Yeah, very interesting. It's, I love the fact that you also said that we have to help the employer have a picture of who we are. And right. I think one of the first thing, because I've been in both sides, you know, hiring people and also writing resumes. And I think as an employee, if you hire, the most annoying part is that when things seem unclear and fuzzy. Right. And it it's annoys so much where we just don't want to go further and read the resume because we have a hundred others to read. So it's very important, I think, in that key qualification, those four bullet points at the beginning, make sure that this says, I'm the right person for this particular job. 
Absolutely. And, you know, if we can even get more specific about it and we can assume that people who are reviewing our resumes on their first first look through are going to spend less than 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that they can read your resume, even if your resume is only one page. There's no way they can get through all that information in 30 seconds, but they absolutely can read those four phrases at the top of your resume, and that will allow them to make the decision about you and put you in the yes pile because they know you have exactly what they need. Yeah, very good. I have a small um, advice to ask you. How uh, transparent do you think we should be about being an expert partner in that phase? Um, I mean, I think you're at probably asking this question because you're wondering about um, sort of the transient nature of our lives, right? Yeah. That we aren't going to be able oftentimes to commit to an employer for 10 years. We know we're leaving in three years. Do you think years. we should mention of? it? Yeah, well, that's a very good point. But my, it's like, is it something that we have to mention? Because I've seen on LinkedIn, so many mm -hmm. people put it as a like, job position trailing spouse. Yeah, no, don't uh, do that. <laughs> so it was like, okay, that's that's a bit, For me, it was a bit strange. So um, how, okay, I might not recommend that, but should we in a way or another mention in the resume that we've been a training spouse? No, not in the resume. I do recommend um, if you feel that your resume has a gap in it that's explained by being a trailing spouse or Um, you know, sometimes trailing spouses will have like two years of experience here, two years in another place, two years in another place, two years in another place. An employer might ask themselves, why is this person jumping from job to job? What's mm -hmm. going on? Right. Mm -hmm. It's not appropriate to explain that in your resume, but it's really the right place to explain it in your cover letter. Okay. So as you're attaching that cover letter to your resume, you do the same thing with knowing your audience. And one of the things you can do in your cover letter is ask yourself, what questions is my audience going to ask about me? What questions are they going to say, I'm not sure about him or her because, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know they're not going to be real sure about you because you have gone from job to job to job, let's say five jobs in the last 10 years, you're going to want to address that really directly in your cover letter. So you'll want to say something maybe in the last paragraph or in your closing of the cover letter like, as you can see from my resume, I have very diverse international experience and I've worked for five companies or five non-governmental organizations or five whatever over the last 10 years. The very key thing here is that you don't want to apologize for that. So I see so many Um, trailing spouses <laughs> wanting to say like, you know, I know it's not perfect, but da, 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 da. Mm. that's not the answer. You want to find out why is that an advantage? Mm. So why does this potential employer want you because you have experience, that kind of experience, right? So maybe you've lived like me in Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Malawi, and Bulgaria in the last 15 years. Mm. What does that get your potential employer? How does that benefit them, exactly. right? So you want to clearly explain why you're the right person to hire because you have that kind of experience, not in spite of mm -hmm. that particular experience, right? And same thing with the gap in your resume. So if you've taken some time off, the right place to explain that is in your cover letter. Um, I can give you a great example of one of my clients that I just worked with um, on her cover letter. She was applying for a position at Volvo at the car company, mm -hmm. and she has been um, taking the last five years off in order to raise her kids. So in her last paragraph of her cover letter, she said, as you can see from my resume, I've been out of the workforce since 2011. During that time, I was staying at home in order to raise my kids who are now back in school. I am applying for this particular position at Volvo 
um, and my experience as a stay-at-home mom is really beneficial to you. I'm applying for a position where I have to work on, uh, I have to help people with their warranties with Volvo. Mm-hmm. And as you, as everyone knows, Volvo is one of the safest car companies in the world, and people buy Volvos because of their warranties. Mm-hmm. Also, Volvo's big market is to families because the cars are so safe. I'm a stay-at-home mom who has made car buying decisions based on their warranty and based on the safety of the car. So as we get calls in that I will field on warranties, I understand exactly where our customers are coming from. This is so cool. And it was so powerful. Wow. I mean, it made you believe that she was absolutely the pers- person that you wanted for that position. So clever. <laughs> yeah, really it worked great. out perfectly. Yeah, really. You know, and it works. And that's not just uh, a one-off example. You know, as stay-at-home parents or as people who have really diverse experience, that brings something so important to employers. And we are the first ones who usually discount that. We're the ones that say, oh, my time as a stay-at-home mom didn't count. Or, gosh, who would want to hire me? I've only worked for five different organizations in the last three years. Mm-hmm. But we need to decide what the, what the message is that we want to tell about our story. And so finding that confidence ourselves is the first step in being able to convey that to employers and having employers really see that as an advantage. Really cool. So now you've, you've been giving some amazing, amazing value here in terms of how to take advantage of our holes in our, like, you know, the gaps we have in our resume in terms of what we did, etc. And the fact that we move regularly from a country to another to not justify it, but make it a big advantage. Absolutely. Um, So now, what about the future? What about when the employee said, okay, you might leave? I'm sorry, we're getting a bit out of the resume itself, but it might be useful to set the mindset to write the resume. So how do we answer that objection? Well, let's first put something right out there. There's some people, some organizations, who are just going to say no to expat partners because they can't wrap their head around the idea, Mm -hmm. right? And, And that's okay, right? If that's the kind of employer that they are, then that's not the right fit for us. Mm-hmm. So let's not beat ourselves up over that particular view of the employer, mm-hmm. right? Just to put that out there. Good point. However, again, what is the advantage? What do you bring to the table that makes it worth it to hire you even though you'll just be there for two years, right? And also setting up for the employer what that two years looks like and what it looks like when you have to leave is really important. Right. So let's say they're going to you're applying for a position and in the interview, they ask you, you know, what is I see that you are looks like you've moved countries every two years. Are you planning to leave here in two years? If the 100 percent truth is you must leave that country in two years, you know, some people have flexibility and some people don't. If the truth is you have to leave in two years, you absolutely want to tell them that in the interview. Right. You don't want to start off any relationship with your employer with any kind of lie or deceit. If you do have the flexibility, if your spouse has the flexibility to add on a year or two, then you say that in the interview. Mm-hmm. My spouse has the flexibility to add on a year or two. We will petition for that. If it works out, we'll be here for four years. So really being honest during the interview is very important. Okay. But then the, the second thing is tell them what it looks like if they hire you for two years. So why is it worth it to hire you if you'll be there for two years? Well, in two years, I'll do this for you. This is a marketing position. I plan to set up um, your strategy for social media for the next 
X number of years, this, that, and the other thing. So really think through that ahead of time. What are you going to give them in those two years? And then because they may not be used to people who know they're going to leave in two years, tell them how you plan to make sure that there's a seamless transition between you and the next person who takes over, right? Mm -hmm. So in the last six months of my employment with you, I will take charge of the advertising for my position, um, interviewing new candidates, helping you to hire the right person to replace me and designing a full training program. So you will never even notice that it's gone from me to the next person, right? If you don't draw, if you don't show them that plan of yours or show that map, there's no way that they're going to understand how it works. And they're just going to see it as a burden for them. But if you show them, I'm going to give you so much in those two years, then I'm going to train the person who follows on so that you don't even notice why, how could they say no to that? Of course. It's really good. I'm really happy that we bring out this very important mindset to have, actually, to, again, not excuse ourselves, but say, listen, for the next two years, I'm going to bring you so much value that, that even if I'm leaving, it's great because you're going to have the great basis to, to hire the second person who will follow. So mm -hmm. it's it's really great. So let, um, this is the mindset I think we should really have while we're writing the resume. So let's get back to the resume itself. We talked about the first paragraph, which is key qualifications. How about the rest now? Can you try to give us some indications? Absolutely. So you go with a header, right, with your name and your phone number and your email address. Just FYI, this is also a big question I get. People ask me, should I put my address on the resume? I might be living in... Um, Switzerland, but I'm applying for a job in the United States. Yeah. In this day and age, no need to put your address on the resume. Put your phone number and put your email address. If you are living in a different country and you are applying for jobs in the next country you're going to, use a service like Skype or the millions of other phone services out there um, to get a phone number in that country, yeah, right? Local, so don't yeah. let employers had the excuse of not calling you because they can't figure out how a foreign phone number Actually, works. Actually, right? can, can you please focus on that and explain it? Because I'm not sure everybody knows about this, set, this solution we have to create a local number, even if we don't live there. Sure. So there are um, voice over IP protocol phones. So you can work with companies like Skype, Uma, Magic Jack, uh, Vonage, And as you sign up with those companies, you can select the phone number you want in the country that you want. Sometimes there's an additional fee for that. Um, and it's very worth it to pay that fee while you're in your job search. Yeah. Why? Because like I said, whether we like it or not, we in the expat world think it's normal to call people in different countries. <laughs> But in other countries, not everyone thinks that's normal, right? Yeah. So I definitely know people in the United States who if they saw a foreign prefix on a phone number, they would just go, uh, I don't know how to do this. And they might put the person to the side just because of that. And that's not fair. So don't let them be in the position where they don't call you because they can't figure out how to dial the phone number. <laughs> Very important. So let's go back now then to the resume, the address. <laughs> you said we don't put it, but we put the number and let's put a local number because they're great tools to be able to put a local number. And when they call this number, it reaches out to us wherever we are. Exactly. Okay. And then? Exactly. Uh, and then you put your email address, obviously. Then your first section is key qualifications. Mm-hmm which we already talked about. Second quick section is a professional experience. I just would like to put a couple notes here. Okay. Under professional experience, as you're looking at the titles of your positions, make sure that those titles of your positions are actually describing what you've done. Okay. So let's say your official title was marketing assistant, 
right? But what you actually did was manage the social media for that organization. Check with the organization if it's okay to put social media manager if you plan to continue working in social media, Mm -hmm. right? So you want some of those words to pop out. And if you're applying for your next job as social media manager, it's great under your professional experience to have those titles being very similar, Mm -hmm. right? Now, some organizations are really, really strict and they say, absolutely not. I will not talk about you with anybody who calls me unless you put marketing assistant. Mm -hmm. That's fine. No problem. But if there is a little flexibility and you can change up your titles and that's okay with your organization, you absolutely should do that because those words are the ones that jump off the page. Mm -hmm. Then under professional experience, you're going to list each of your positions um, and you're going to put your bullets underneath. As you are putting bullets describing what you did in that position, you're going to want to make sure to have the first bullets be the ones that are most relevant to the job that you're applying for. So a lot of us make the mistake also of having our bullets in the order of how important that accomplishment or responsibility felt to us in that particular position, Mm -hmm. right? So let's take the example of social media manager. Let's say as social media manager, I was um, responsible for um, writing all the social media content and posts. And I was also responsible for reaching out and creating relationships with people to give me content for our social media posts and three other things, right? So, In my new position that I'm applying for, maybe that content creation, like reaching out to other people for content, is more important than the fact that I just posted the content. Then I'm going to want to make sure that that's bullet number one because that comes up higher on your resume. It's really close to the title, um, you know, the title of your position. You just want to make sure that the most important stuff is coming as early as possible in the resume. Mm -hmm. Okay? So you go through all your professional positions. Then if you have... um, volunteer work that is really relevant and you had a regular relationship, right? So if you volunteered once and did bookkeeping for an organization, that's not really the thing to include on a professional experience. But if you had a regular relationship with an organization over two years and you did bookkeeping for them, that's absolutely something you want to include under professional experience. So then depending on what your volunteer experience is, you can also add in a volunteer experience section, right? So if you want to demonstrate that you have, um, a lot of experience in, um, I don't know, working with kids or something like that, and you have a lot of different one-off experience, that might be something you want to include under volunteer experience. Then after that, you want to have your education. So this is also a big mistake I see is people put their education before they put their professional experience. Mm -hmm. Professional experience always counts more than education because it's more practical. You've demonstrated exactly what you're able to do. Um, also, if you have your education first, it looks like you just came out of college. And for most of us, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So always put your education after your professional experience. Mm-hmm. Then if you have any additional skills, it's great to put a skills section at the end, um, especially for expat partners who speak various languages. Sometimes that's going to be really valuable. If you're applying for a position, let's say in my case, a lot of the positions I've held are, require you to be bilingual, English and Spanish, Right. If the position requires you to be bilingual, and that's one of the very important things that they're looking for, make sure that's included up in your key qualifications section. So you can lead with that, right? Bilingual international development professional with eight years of experience in Latin America, Mm -hmm. right? But if you have some other languages, um, for example, I also speak Bulgarian. That's not super relevant to my employer, but maybe I really am interested in keeping that on my resume to demonstrate my ability to learn Slavic languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put under skill section languages um, 
English, native, Spanish, fluent, Bulgarian, fluent, or something like that. Also, that's a good place to put computer skills, which are sometimes a requirement for particular positions. They want you to know a particular design software or a budgeting software. So that's the kind of thing that you can put under additional skills. Now, as expat partners, a lot of us have hobbies, right? We do photography. We have blogs. We travel. We learn interesting sports like paddleboarding or whatever, yoga, stuff like that. This is really interesting. These are really interesting things about you and make you seem like a round, a well-rounded person, right? But if they're not relevant to the position, they really don't belong on your resume. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you are applying for a job at a fitness center and you have some experience as, um, um, a yoga teacher, or you've run a lot of triathlons or something like that, then maybe that's a right, that's the right thing to put under your skill section because that's truly a skill, right? I have the skill of teaching yoga or I know about training for a triathlon, something that you would actually use in that position. But just listing hobbies like I like horseback riding and yoga and this just doesn't quite belong on the resume. Mm-hmm. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, but these, these um, quote-unquote hobbies that we have oftentimes really give us skills that we need in our professional lives, right? Yeah. So if you're an excellent photographer and you're going to go on to work in anything in the design field or a marketing field, that's going to be really relevant. Same thing with blogging, right? A lot of us don't think about blogging as anything more than just sharing our ideas. But in fact, we're cultivating our ability to write creatively, which is really needed in a lot of positions. Wow. That was so many great tips here. <laughs> I, I hope, Nomad Nation, that you are really fully taking advantage of this great, great advice that Anna is giving us here. I think we should listen it more than once this episode. But if I try to summarize in a way, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we have to make sure because the resume has to start to be short. It can't be more than a page or two, right? That's correct. And we One have or to two make, pages. Yeah, we, we have a tendency to try also to put everything out there. And I liked how you focus on the importance of how relevant things are to the job we're applying to and, and try to transform everything into le- relevance and priorities, not according to us and how we experience everything, but according to this job position we're applying for. I think this is a very important takeaway that we should remember from what all what you've said so far. And in terms of re- relevance, also, let's think, not put everything you've done maybe there. Sometimes we have to just ditch some things we did because it just didn't, doesn't help with this job position. But then sometimes bring out things that we did that we might not think relevant, but if you analyze it a bit with a job position, might be relevant. So I think it, there is a whole soul search when we write our resume to really you know, um, take some perspective in analyzing our skill set according to what interests the employee. And try to make it short, efficient, and relevant. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, you know, if I could just highlight one more thing, you know, part of that act of reviewing our resume is convincing ourselves that we are absolutely the right person for the job, right? Mm -hmm. So as we look at that resume and as we look at the job announcement saying, oh my gosh, I have every single thing that they're looking for. I'm the perfect candidate. When you enter into a job application process like that, you know, as you write your resume and cover letter, and when you go into an interview saying, I am absolutely perfect, this is going to be excellent for them, that gets you in the right mindset to really be selling those skills that you have that your employer needs. Oh my God, I don't know how, I think we could 
add so many other things in this episode today, uh, but it's amazing how many um, insights you just brought us in a few minutes, Anna. Uh, I just want to say also something important is that I think it's not that easy to do what we just said. It seems very easy the way we're saying it, but it might be also great to use the help of somebody like you. <laughs> to to be able to do that because I'm I'm not sure everybody can do it by themselves. So how do you help people who are in this situation? Yeah, well, I have a couple of different things. Um, first of all, I work one-on-one with people, obviously. So I work one-on-one with people um, on their resumes, on their cover letters, prepping for interviews, you know, kind of gaining that confidence that they need to show why they're, they're the perfect person in the interview. Um, and I also talk a lot about networking strategies, which is super important in the job search. And sometimes we put that kind of thing to the side. Mm. Um, so I work one-on-one with people. I offer free monthly webinars. Um, this month I did one on cover letters and net- next month I'm going to be doing one on networking strategies. So that's a way that people can really, um, get some of the, the helpful tips that they need, um, to, to really make progress in their job search. And then um, the last thing I want to mention is in March, I'm launching a class called 28 Days to Your Dream Job. And this is the perfect class for expat partners because in four weeks, we're going to go through every major element of the job search. So we're going to go through resumes, cover letters, interviewing skills, networking strategies. And this is going to set up all the participants in this class perfectly to get their next job. Um, so that class is running for four weeks in March. And I actually specifically scheduled it in March because I know a lot of people are making the transition to somewhere else in the summer. So I want to set people up to be ready to jump right into that job search with all of their products that they need to sell themselves in perfect order. How can we get more information about this? I found it so interesting. I would jump on it if I was looking for a job and looking to work on my resume. It's going to actually be... Um, four webinars. So we'll meet once a week. Then we also have a Facebook group and I'm going to be reviewing everybody's resumes and cover letters. So you're going to get my eyes on your work with concrete feedback about how to make it better. Um, the program starts on March 1st and you can get more information by going to anna-sparks.com slash dream slash job. So that's where you can find all the information about that class. And you know, Amel, I'm just now announcing this class. This is like brand new. I have only shared it with 30 people. And now I'm going to share it with your listeners first before I share it with a broader audience. But there is a special price until February 12th. So it's only $147, which is a total steal until February 12th. After that, it goes up to $197. But um, the class is going to be maxed at 20. So I really want people to sign up and get that early bird special. Okay, Nomad Nation, don't miss this opportunity. Go to uh, the show note page of this episode and I will list all the information that Anna just gave us. So Anna, thank you so, so much. It was just amazing, amazing value bombs here that you've thrown us. (laughs) I'm going to have to listen to this episode more than once. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. Shout out to everybody in Nomad Nation. I'm so glad I got to be on the podcast today. Nomad Nation, don't miss any of the great inspiration, tips and insights that will prepare just for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter.